Science and Criticism Meet. Split Frame of Reference Podcast. Welcome to the Split Frame of Reference Podcast. I'm Nick. And I'm Allison. And today we have Boz Javidjan on with us to talk about some really important things. Yeah, he's the founder uh, and executive director of Grace, a godly response to abuse in the Christian environment. Um, he's also a former prosecutor. Uh, who created the first sex um, crimes division at the office of the state attorney. And I believe that's Florida, right? Correct. All right. Yeah. And you're also a professor of law at Liberty University uh, School of Law and published author focusing on sexual victimization. And I believe you're transitioning to, um, I think you're uh, helping uh, defend uh, sex victims. Is that correct? Yes. So so in fact, just about 30 minutes ago was my very last law school class. Oh, wow. Uh, Just just finished it. And I uh, transitioning back to the practice of law where I've already developed developing a practice even now where uh, we represent uh, sexual abuse victims uh, against churches and other institutions where that uh, who failed them and being their advocates in the civil courtrooms around the country. Cheers to that. Yeah. Yeah, that's got to be yeah, its own. Um, so tell us a little bit about your story and how you got to where you're at right now and where you're going. <laughs> yeah, who knows where I'm going? Um, <laughs> I'll give you my story. I'll try to make most of it factual. Um, but mm-hmm. no, I, I um, grew up, you know, grew up in a, I tell people I grew up in a traditionally uh, dysfunctional but great Christian home. I'm one of seven kids. Um, a unique home in the sense that I was the I, a grandson of Billy Graham, and so that was made life probably uh, more interesting than not. Um, I was also born in Switzerland. My f- grandfather on my father's side was escaped the uh, Armenian genocide in the wow. early 1900s, and his entire family was killed, uh, except for his mom and his sister and his aunt, I think, and they ended up in Switzerland. That's where he met my grandmother. That side of the family actually in many ways is, is far more interesting. Um, than the than the Graham side, but um, yeah, just uh, I'd always wanted to be a lawyer growing up. I don't know why. I think I initially wanted to be a pizza man, and then I wanted to be a painter, <laughs> and then somehow uh, I decided on law. But um, ended up, uh, you know, going to law school um, and became a prosecutor in Central Florida, and just did that for about eight years. And when I was a prosecutor, I really prior to that time, I really didn't have a lot of knowledge about the issues related to sexual abuse or sexual assault. I'd had a family member who had been sexually assaulted. And so I knew some, mm. but just not on a on an upfront, deep level. And when I was prosecuting is where I, for the very first time, had a front row seat at the horrors of that offense. Mm. And um, not only the horrors of the offense, but offenders, how offenders act. Um, and probably the most... Um, the thing that probably moved me the most was just the privilege of meeting abuse survivors. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you can, you, you won't be the same after you sit in a room with a nine or 10 year old or 15 year old, doesn't matter yeah. uh, who shares with you about their horrific uh, experiences and how that's impacted their life. And mm-hmm. I mean, you just, you can't, it, it changes you. And I think, you know, for, 
for whatever reason, I don't have this quite figured out yet, but, but God certainly changed my heart in that. And yeah. one of the things that I learned in doing that type of work was um, practicing and prosecuting thousands of these cases was how oftentimes churches were connected to these cases mm -hmm. and more often than not, how often churches failed in either protecting uh, children or vulnerable people or um, failed in responding when they learned about it. Oh, yeah. And so when I left, long story short, I left the prosecutor's office and really was asking God, what do I do with everything you've taught me on the front lines on this issue? And um, I ended up realizing that what if I took what I learned on the front line and joined with some other people who in various disciplines, who all love Jesus, but who all have a similar burden and who all have, have different types of expertise. And we came together and formed an organization that would train and equip the church to be a, a, a much more accurate and more beautiful reflection of Jesus in that it would be the safest place for children and vulnerable people and the least safe for those who hurt them. Nice. And so Grace was formed in 2004, and we can talk more about the work of Grace, but that's just a not so very short uh, description of my background. Yeah, that's great. Thank you. Um, maybe, um, be yeah, before we talk about maybe some more of how grace fits in, um, what do you think is some of the unique kind of DNA of sexual abuse in the church? Or what type of culture enables the abuse of children or and or vulnerable adults? You know, a number of years ago, I might have, I might have had a more clear cut answer to that. Um, you know, in the sense that, well, you know, conservative or, or fundamentalist or patriarchal communities uh, foster that. And, and I would say by and large, that's true. Yeah. Um, but, but I've also encountered a, a number of more what we would call progressive yeah. Christian environments that foster that. And so mm -hmm. I think if you narrow it down, and again, it's, it's not a simple answer, is anytime you have a differential of power in an, in an environment where one grouping of people uh, is valued less than others. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes that's a result of that grouping having greater power and authority over the other. Yeah. I think problems arise. And so, you know, in a conservative, in a more fundamentalist uh, type of culture, you might have a very low view of women and children. Yeah. And therefore a woman or a child would never feel safe stepping forward to disclose abuse. And oftentimes the men will just support the other men, especially the male perpetrators. Yeah. But in a more progressive environment, you may have the, and I think Willow Creek is a great example. That's yeah. a tragic example of that, where the pastor actually uses that theology to gain the trust of women and children. Mm. Um, and, and then by gaining their trust and giving them, you know, pow, quote unquote power, he then violates that by uh, by abusing them. And so you see it across the board, but I do think ultimately it's the distortion and abuse of power in any of those environments that fosters the abuse of children and, and other vulnerable people. Mm. How does uh, grace um, fit into the picture? Um, what, what, what do you guys do to kind of help um, the situation? Well, I would say our overarching uh, hope and prayer for the organization is that we can we can play a role in helping to transform Christendom mm. into a community that uh, values and loves children and vulnerable people as much or more than anybody else. And because of that, uh, we'll, we'll be incredibly proactive in protecting them and 
will have zero tolerance for those who hurt them. And, and I really think ultimately that I truly believe that's a, a genuine reflection of Jesus. Jesus was, in my opinion, the greatest child advocate in history. If you listen to the words of Jesus about children at a time when children were viewed as maybe a tad bit more valuable than slaves and at a time in a culture, not only Roman culture, but, but Jewish culture where the the systemic abuse of children was commonplace for Jesus to come and step forward and say, anybody who hurts a child should be thrown into a, you know, thrown, thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around them. That was, that's unheard of back then. And we forget that. Yeah. We forget that today. It sounds like, oh, that's great. Yeah, that Jesus. No, I mean, you got to understand things in context. And so. Going up against, yeah. Yeah. So I think that ultimately our hope and prayer for the organization is, is, is that. Now, how we do that, there's many ways, but the two primary ways we do that is through our safeguarding uh, initiative where we go into a church or any type of faith-based organization and we assign a safeguarding specialist that will walk that church organization through a process that lasts anywhere from five to eight months, where we are educating um, and, and equipping every, uh, every demographic of that community, leadership all the way down to children, hmm. giving them the right tools in their toolbox to understand these issues, to understand the dynamics behind them, to understand practically what do you do if you observe these things, how do you receive complaints, what do you do with you know, how do you respond in a way that, that uh, makes uh, survivors uh, feel the most safe in your church environment rather than running out the doors of the church and never coming back, which is wow. the vast majority of them. Uh, so that's the safeguarding. And the other wing of the organization is our independent investigations. And that is when a church has an issue that comes forward. Oftentimes somebody steps forward and says, hey, you know that youth pastor you had 10 years ago? He sexually abused me. Hmm. Um, and, and you know what? I told somebody and nobody listened to me. Mm. And the church will then go, wow, we need to look into this. A, we need to make sure these crimes are reported to, to law enforcement. But then we need to evaluate what happened, what we knew, when we knew it, mm. how we responded, so that we can actually learn from it, That's so cool. that we can do differently in the future. So our independent investigations happen all across the world, um, varying different types of situations. But the key is that they're independent, which means that when we're finished, we tell the church, well, actually, when we start, we tell the church, um, we're independent, so you don't call the shots. We'll investigate this. Um, your responsibility is to cooperate and to pay our invoice, which is very important. Um, <laughs> and other than that, you have to stay out of it. And at the end yeah. of the day, when we write our report, we're going to give you a copy of the report, but we're also going to give a copy of the report to every reported victim that we met in the right. investigation. And so you're going to be getting the same thing. So yeah. we're not giving you a report that you can decide what parts of it gets released yeah. to the victims. No, everybody gets the same report and the victims want to put it on Facebook. So <laughs> be it. There's yeah. no, we don't control those things because it's their voices that were an integral part of that investigation yeah. and they make recommendations on how the church can, can do things differently in the future and also how they can demonstrate genuine repentance to the people that were hurt as part yeah. of that abuse. Yeah, adding value. Um, you spoke of value before, but it sounds like you're, in your actions from the investigation, you're making a very clear statement that these people are, are valuable and we're going to give them just as much information as the people that have the power. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because so oftentimes survivors are going, well, I don't want to participate in an investigation because yeah. the, the church who, who betrayed me is going to investigate and has hurt me, 
they, <laughs> they, they chose the investigator. Why would I do yeah. that? Yeah. And in the best it, interest. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and that took a, it took a number of years for us to have to prove otherwise, mm. but I got it. I remember our very first investigation, a big new tribes mission, big uh, missionary organization and abuse on the mission field. Won't go into the whole story, but, but when, when they came to us and said, we want to do an investigation, we said, okay, we'll do it. It's got to be independent. But then the next problem was that the, the abuse survivors were saying, hell no, we're not going to allow, yeah. be investigated by grace. If, if we didn't have any say in who, who hired them, yeah. new tribes hired them. We don't trust new tribes, so why would we trust them? And it, and it took a while for us to work pretty hard to gain that trust and for them to see our heart, to see really where we're coming from. And I think since that period of time, uh, one of the, one of the uh, unique aspects of our organization is it seems like we have a great degree of respect from church churches and church leaders, but also, and quite frankly, even more importantly to me, survivors. Yeah. And it's usually one or the other. It's very mm -hmm. unique to have both, uh, mm -hmm. though there are many churches that don't speak to us anymore because they didn't like what they read in the report and so be it. That's, yeah. that's, that's for them to work it out, not for us. Yeah. Were they perhaps trying to, some of them try to clear their name maybe? And like, it's kind of interesting. Like who, who's going to hire uh, you? Yeah. I think sometimes that the few that I really look back on that, that were a problem were when um, an issue of abuse came forward. Uh, they, you know, the witnesses and victims put everything on Facebook and social media and called the news. And so now you have this organization standing there almost like the emperor of no clothes going with a big spotlight over them. And they're like, what do we do? What do we do? And, and the victims then go hire grace. So they go, okay, we'll hire grace I just see. to, just to get that spotlight turned off or dimmed yeah. at least. Yeah. And so they hire us fast forward three or four months. Now they're not so willing to cooperate. Mm -hmm. Now that the spotlight's gone somewhere else, uh, we begin to see the true, we're sort of the true nature of why they asked us to do what they did. Yeah. So we've learned, we've learned from that. I will not do another investigation with any church or organization unless we feel absolutely convinced based on our conversations with them that they are doing it for as best we can tell the right reasons. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, and how do people, um, and, and this gets to maybe a broader question, uh, how do people within, um, say, Christian environments usually respond to reports of abuse? You know, I mean, uh, imagine for some people, it's the instant responses to deny, 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 or double down, double down, double down. Or yeah. for many people, I imagine it's like getting hit with, you know, a cement truck, you know? So yeah. what, what do you kind of, how, how, what's kind of the general impression you get from when this first kind of, when it first breaks, you know, um, and all this sort of stuff happens, like what are, how do people usually seem to respond? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't think there's a, I don't think there's an answer to that in the sense, I don't think there's a usual response. I do think that it is also oftentimes depends. I think oftentimes it depends on who the, who the reported victim is and who the reported offender is. You know, for example, if you have a church and, and a, a, a child steps forward and says, hey, that, that janitor that you just hired two days ago just touched me. Mm. Well, my guess is that the general, can, I wouldn't be surprised, let me just say that, if the consensus is, oh my goodness, get this guy out of here, let's call the police, you know, we, we support that kid. The dynamics change drastically if that same child steps forward and says, the youth pastor that's been here for the last 10 years, who's mm -hmm. beloved by everybody, touched me. Suddenly now we all, I think the temptation of humanity is to gravitate towards narratives we feel most comfortable with. Yeah. And so the narrative that this child is mixed up and mm -hmm. that this per, poor person is being falsely accused 
is much more attractive than, oh my goodness, this person who my kids have loved, who I have, who I have loved and respected for years, maybe not the person that I thought they were. Mm. We don't go that direction, especially if that person has power and that offender is a narcissist because they exploit that and they spin mm. the narrative that they ultimately are the real victim and that that child or that reported victim who stepped forward is actually really the perpetrator. They're the one destroying my ministry or destroying my life. And church, it's amazing how many, how many church members and, and people in faith communities will, will gravitate and embrace that narrative. And that's why we see so many survivors fleeing the churches, yeah. and never wanting to go back because of the immense betrayal they experienced. So many survivors have told me that, that the betrayal of the church in responding to their disclosure has been more traumatic and more painful to them than the underlying abuse itself. Yeah. That's, that's pretty profound and really tragic. Yeah. Wow. I guess given that this is kind of the general, like how a lot of people will respond, um, what, ha- how do, how do these institutions usually respond in your experience when they, when you bring your findings to them? So usually if an institution has, has, has reached out to us, that's always, that, to me, that's already a good sign that they're, they're not trying to cover it up or they're trying to really earnestly, as much as I know, trying to get to the bottom of things. Yeah. Um, so more often than not, I think things have changed in the last five or six years. Yeah. Say so more often than not now, the response has been more favorable mm. and has been more humble and more teachable. Now, I think sometimes they don't like, you know, Sometimes one time I had somebody say, uh, why didn't you write some good things about us? You wrote all these bad things. Why don't you? I said, well, you didn't hire us to do this scale of here's good and bad. We don't, we're hired for this purpose. And the reality is this is a bad situation. And quite frankly, you, you all handled it really poorly. Um, But, but you do see a lot more teachable, I think a more teachable spirits from churches who have brought us along, because that's one of the reasons why they have asked us to come do that. I think that's, the bigger issue, I think, are the churches that don't bring in a group like Grace. How are they responding to these types of disclosures? And I think, by and large, still very poorly, yeah. because by and large, they are still more institutional-centered and institutional uh, focus on protecting the institution over the individual. Yeah, and that's a that's a common dynamic you see in inside and outside the church. But inside the church, I tell people all the time we preach the gospel with our lips, which is all about a, a God who sacrifices himself in order to save an individual. But we do the exact opposite in how we respond to these things because we actually sacrifice individuals in order to protect ourselves as churches. So we speak gospel with our lips, but we live out and apply it absolutely in the inverse yeah. in so many sexual abuse scenarios. Yeah, the saving the face of the institution seems to be... Usually, oftentimes, I, I mean, I found just primary um, and even like couched in kind of godly language, like God put us here for oh, yeah. ministry and look at all the good we're doing. How dare you threaten that? I yeah. Think. And I mean, usually there's not like an overt like, um, oh, yeah, we know. And sometimes there is. We know that this person abused this other person, but we're going to cover it up. Usually there's layers of denial and um, yeah. maybe their own lies, I yeah. think. Um, yeah. I mean, you see, yeah. you saw that a, a primate and very public example of that last year with e, either Paige Patterson. Yeah. Um, we saw that with Bill Hybels. 
you know, how many people, yeah. even church leaders came out and talked about, minimized what he was reported to have done and talked about the great things he had done oh, yeah. for the kingdom of God. And, you know, that's, that, that's just BS. I mean, the reality is you're, you're, you're covering up evil yeah. with, it's actually the worst kind of evil because actually you're covering up evil with a veneer, a spiritual veneer. And mm. that's a betrayal of the very God that we, that we worship. And so, no, we, we say, listen, your, your job is to be transparent. You preach about the light of the gospel, then be light. Yeah. And, and the church ultimately is not dependent upon you. I can't tell you how many times we've had victims say, well, they said, well, you know, if you, if you do this, it's going to hurt the testimony of the church or the testimony of Jesus or the reputation mm-hmm. of Jesus. I'm like, who do we think we are that we think that we, we control the, the reputation of Jesus? Yeah. Like, are you kidding me? Like, that's a very, a very self-centered approach to God yeah. versus saying, no, we can be transparent. We can expose our failures because, because of Jesus. Yeah. Um, but it's the opposite. And I think the reality is it's because you have incomes and careers and, yeah. and dollars and reputations that are at stake. And it's way easier to put pious language all around it to make it sound much more acceptable. And yeah. sadly, a lot of people buy that. It works. It really works. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I agree. Yeah. You, I saw it. You recently, um, was it, I forget what it's called. It was a conference put out by the Southern Baptist Convention, wasn't oh, it? Oh, the Caringwell Conference, yeah. Yeah. What, what was that like? That that was interesting. Um, and that was a great talk you gave, by the way. <laughs> oh, well, yeah, probably the last time I speak there. But, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I, I it's a mixed bag. I, I struggled, and I told them this. I struggled with the invitation. Um, yeah. I said, and that's why I said it in my, my presentation. Yeah, exactly. I, yeah. yeah I, I don't, I don't think they should have been hosting a conference. They no. should be going to conferences and learning, but don't host them. Good yeah. grief. Like you're not in a position to host a conference yeah, about makes- this. Um, so I really struggle, but you know, at the end of the day, um, I don't know if you know Rachel Denhollander, but yeah, we know of, yeah, but yeah. Okay, yeah she, Me and her husband go back and forth about hockey on Twitter all the okay. time. <laughs> so Rachel, she, she and Diane Langberg are probably the two that can convince me the most that I should go. Okay. Nice. Um, and so I said, I'll go, but as long as I can say exactly what I want, yep. and I really ultimately really wanted to say as much as I could to be a voice. And I'm not qualified to do this, but I, I, I somebody had to, yeah. to be a voice for all the people and victims who weren't there. Yeah. And cause I had a lot of survivors saying, I can't believe you're going. That's a betrayal. And I said, mm-hmm. I know what you, I get it. Just at least hear me out. Yeah. Just at least hear me out. And I felt like th- that voice needed to be heard and again i don't think it's, i was nearly the, the the right or qualified person to to do it because i'm not a, an abuse survivor yeah. but somebody somebody needed to I, I think there are people within that denomination uh, that i think want to do the right thing yeah um but it's like i said in my presentation i think the whole system is toxic and yeah. sometimes really toxic systems especially systems that were born out of slavery and being pro-slavery yeah. um maybe should <laughs> just be come to a close and an end and let's start start over. Yeah, but I don't see that happening. Yeah, I think I know. Um, talking to a couple of people who have um, experienced uh, sexual some form of sexual abuse, they and ha- and did see your talk on that. They actually found it very valuable and felt like um, they weren't necessarily in the SBC, but they felt like right. they were there. And well, that's good to hear. I'm, I, that's yeah. encouraging because I, I I was there for less than twenty four hours, 
and went in, left, but that's in Kirkus. Sometimes I wonder, you know, should I have gone? But but I think uh, since that time, I've been confirmed that yeah. hopefully it was helpful to somebody. It, yeah, it's a tough choice. Yeah, because it's clear yeah. it's, you know, probably some image protection there. And yet you got invited and, you know. Yeah, you well, you know, fine. and I told yeah. I told one of the, the people who invited me, I say, you know, to give you some credit, yeah. I said, you know, you've invited me to speak at this. You've said I could say anything I want. Yeah. And uh, just down the street literally is Matt Chandler's church that I'm suing. <laughs> so, so, you know, I, I have to give you some credit for that. that yeah. Okay. I'll. Yeah. And that helped me, that also helped me decide yeah. too, is like, you know, they did step out a little bit to invite me because I don't think they thought that I was going to come and, and sing praises upon them. Yeah. And, um, yeah. and I think a lot of the guys, I had a handful of those guys who pulled me aside and thanked me because nice. they felt like they can't say those things, Yeah. but which I think they should, but yeah. they were grateful that I did. So yeah, I'm glad it was, it was an interesting event. Yeah. It's a mixed bag sometimes with these. Or- yeah, that's true. That's yeah. very true. And in light of all of that and thinking about, you know, churches and, 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 and kind of how this all works, um, how can we create a culture that is welcoming of survivors, um, that extends, a, you know, an ear to hear and a heart to listen and all that, that is um, uh, also that, it, that takes seriously and critically and even maybe a good word is that is hostile to the environment of abuse yeah. or even, you know, the idea of perpetuating that. So. I guess it's kind of a, how do we protect survivors, but also yeah. a, a church or a, an organization um, to be a place yeah. that actually is, well, supposed to be what the church intended to be. I mean, yeah. you said in order to enter the kingdom of God, you have to become like a child. And that right. to assume a lot of things about the nature of the kingdom of God. And if we're not living into that kingdom ideal, that's, sure. I mean, that's, I don't know what else to call yeah. that other than a failure of a failure yeah. of the church. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, those are those are good questions. I, I I wish there was a really easy recipe to say this is how we make a church safe um, and and in a safe place, especially for survivors. I think that it starts with an acknowledgement that uh, abuse happens. Yeah. Abuse happens inside the church. Um, I did a. <laughs> if you take just the numbers and you say. One in four men and one in six, uh, one in four women and one in six men have been sexually abused as a child before they're 18, um, and say, okay, if I had a church of 100 men and 100 women, that means 20.5% of my congregation are abuse survivors. Yeah. Like, do I, as a pastor or a church leader, even grasp that? And yeah. challenge myself to say, if if 20.5% of my church uh, had a child die in the last year or two, or had a home burned down. What would we be doing about this? Would we be? Would we work hard to become the safest place for those families, or would we turn our backs on them? And I think it begins with just having a heart to say, abuse is here, and Christians, especially more conservative Christians, have a real tough time. It's really easy to point out there, yeah, uh, about all the bad stuff out there, and they'll talk about pornography until they're blue in the face, which is fine. That's a good thing to talk about that. But man, when you start talking about sexual abuse and sexual abuse inside the church, and suddenly there's not nearly as a willingness to talk about it because one yeah. involves pointing out there and saying, that's the problem out there. And the other says, no, the problem's starting here, not just inside yeah. the church. It actually starts in your very own heart. <laughs> so it's almost like it's a problem between reality versus abstraction. It's easy to point yeah. at the, the yeah. myth thing out here versus, hey, this it's in your hands. It's right in front yeah. of your face talking to you and telling yeah, you. And, 
Yeah. And, and we, in so many Christian pockets, we, we have embraced this dualism. So it's us versus them. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's always easy to say that's them and that's evil. And that's how we could talk about child trafficking in Cambodia. Cause that's them. I mean, that's yeah. out there. But you say, well, what about the, what about the children in your very own congregation that are being physically and sexually victimized by, by family members that doesn't happen or we minimize it. Yeah. Um, you know, parents should have the right to discipline their children. So how dare you, you know? So, so, I do think there comes there, there comes a point of saying okay, acknowledging that, but then being teachable. Like, I think as I said earlier, and I think this is a system problem that I don't have the answer to. Is yeah. is so much of this ultimately percolates out of environments where there's a differential and distortion of power. Yeah. And so you can learn all the great things about child protection. You can have the greatest policies in the world. You can have all of that, but if you don't have the that the foundation of the differential and distortion of power figured yeah. out, it's not really going to help because it'll help as long as the perpetrator is not somebody in power. Yeah, it's yeah. not somebody within authority, with authority. Um, but then just being teachable. I mean, like just saying, oh, we need to learn. I was sharing this morning on another interview that, that you know, survivors can teach us a lot. And I wish more church leaders would reach out to the survivors in their congregation and, and learn from them, not just to say, Hey, you know, as some part of, some counseling thing that oh, just share with us, almost treat them like a patient. Yeah. No, <laughs> we, we should be treated like the pupils and they are the teachers because they have a lot to teach us. Yeah. And, and we, and that's how we value them. And that's how we value those in our church is to learn from those who know the most. Yeah. Um, and then, and then to ask for help from outside experts, you know, pastors, like you said earlier, uh, pastors don't get trained about this stuff in seminary. Yeah. And a lot of pastors today don't even go to seminary. And so, so how do we how do we learn about this? Well, why don't we instead of thinking, well, I know how to, I just read a few books and I become the expert, and I'm the pastor, and everybody will listen to me. Why not reach out to a really good handful of frontline, experienced uh, child advocates, child protection advocates yeah. who are Christians, yeah. such as not trying to yeah. self promote, but such <laughs> as Grace, and say, hey, teach us, because this is an area I couldn't tell, I could not teach them how to preach, but I can teach them on how to develop their policies and procedures and how to transform their culture over time to become a, a culture of protection for the vulnerable in their midst. And so, and it's, and to realize it's a journey. Yeah. It's not just something we can bring in somebody for a weekend, teach, check off a box and move on. Yeah. That is, and there's a lot of programs out there like that. Yeah. And those are dangerous because they give a false sense of security and they give you a false sense of who you all are now simply because we took a class for a weekend yeah. and took a quiz um, no, your culture has to be transformed. The very DNA of who you are as a, as a church has to be transformed. And that transformation takes a very, very long time. So when grace is finished with the church, we say, you're just at the beginning. We've yeah. just helped you, helped you shift the direction of the ship. And now you're going to get moving and we'll help you as you as you move forward. But that shift is the greatest challenge. And a lot of church leaders don't want to do what it takes to undergo that shift. And it's not just child abuse, domestic violence, yeah. all these types of issues, spiritual abuse, all of these issues are interrelated in so many ways. And, and we have to have churches where they're leaders. And I'm seeing this more and more with younger leaders who say, yep, I don't understand it, but I get it's a problem. And we, until we address those and make that part of who we are as a church, we can never be who Jesus has called us to be. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. 
So in that vein, uh, what message would you like to leave um, leaders of churches and parachurch organizations um, on their role of what they can do to respond to reports in godly ways? Well, I mean, I think the, the big thing I would say is there are, you, you don't have to do this alone. Yeah. If you're listening to this or reading a book about this issue and you feel overwhelmed and like, oh man, I have no idea even where to start. That's okay. That's the normal response. And that's actually a really healthy response. Yeah. <laughs> to know that there are, there are amazing resources out there, faith-based and non-faith-based resources that can come alongside of you and help you in this journey. Yeah. I would also say that, that you as a pastor have a, an immense opportunity to be part of the, the solution. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, there have been so many people I've encountered whose lives have been decimated simply because of how a church leader or pastor responded. And so utilize that as an opportunity to say, I'm going to be the opposite. Yeah. I, I want to be the person and I want our church to be the church that does good, that somebody looks back and says, I'm so happy that pastor was there. Yeah. That church helped save my life. Um, they embraced me. They affirmed me. They loved me. They protected me. They advocated on my behalf. They were with me every time I went to court. Uh, mm -hmm. I couldn't ask for a greater advocate. And so I think there's a lot of hope. And I see a lot of pastors who have that heart and yeah. stick with it and, and be that so that one day, years from now, somebody can come to me and say, you know what, let me tell you a story about a pastor. And I'll, my mind will immediately go, oh boy, another disaster story. <laughs> and they actually are telling me about a church leader who played an integral part in protecting them mm -hmm. and championing them and loving them and being a beautiful reflection of Jesus. Yeah. And so I would say, yeah, it's a challenge and it can be overwhelming, but there are those who are here to help you and utilize it as an opportunity to become that reflection of Jesus that he's called us to be. And it's, I think it's an amazing and beautiful opportunity. Yeah. So how about like, like adjusting it a bit um, for, so for instance, I knew of a guy who did, did just that. He, um, a person in his congregation was getting targeted by someone very evil <laughs> Mm -hmm. And he stood up for them and tried to get changed with his um, senior pastor. Yeah. And they came after him bad. Yeah. They tried yeah. to ruin his reputation in some of the worst possible ways. Yeah. And he ended up having to quit. And yeah. also, I, I, I don't know this, but he looked like he was still experiencing PTSD like years sure. Um, Or, you know, maybe it's just the person that, you know, they, maybe they're, I don't know, in charge, but there's people higher up and they're yeah. pressuring him or her saying, yeah, be careful when talking to, you know, this, this other person, because there's going to be a lawsuit or, yeah. you know, maybe there's threats against their job. Yeah, that, that is very common. Uh, yeah. So if, 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 you know, you're going to expect resistance yeah, and the resistance oftentimes will come from the very people you expect it from the least. Yeah, true. Um, and so you would think, oh, my senior pastor is going to be on board with this. And then so you realize, oh, my goodness, he's not. Yeah. Um, and, you know, oftentimes if, if people aren't resisting and throwing rocks at you, you might not be doing the right thing. <laughs> so it may mean you're doing the right thing. Yeah. But, but oftentimes I have, I have to tell pastors, and it's easy for me to say this because I'm not a pastor, you have to know when to walk away. Yeah, true. You have to know to go, you know what, this system is, is rotten. Yeah, it's toxic. It's run by a narcissistic control freak <laughs> who is n is resisting anything that I'm doing, and I'm not going to change that. And yeah. this can't become my crusade. 
And so self-care dictates that I, I turn around and walk away. Yeah. Um, and I, and that's a bad thing because I feel the, the, the vulnerable people in that congregation are still going to be vulnerable, yeah. but at some level, some of these, especially these younger pastors, and I've met a number of them who've yeah. encountered that. Uh, and I tell them at the beginning, are you prepared to walk away? Because mm. that's what you need to start preparing to do. Because you're either going to walk away, convince them, or get back in line and keep your yeah. mouth shut. And you're yeah, not going to convince them. Yeah. So it's either get back in line, keep your mouth shut, or walk away. And you better make that decision early on rather than later on because it gets more and more difficult to make. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, there's, there's absolutely resistance. Just because you say, well, this is a great opportunity. Uh, yeah, it's a great opportunity until your supervisor or senior pastor goes, what are you doing? Why yeah. are you always talking about this stuff? Mm. Stop it. Um, we've, we've got enough policies in place. Our insurance company gave us this policy. It's good. Just stop making a big deal about it. <laughs> yeah. That's a red flag right there. Yeah. If I've ever seen one. Yeah. So-and-so is just a complainer. Don't listen to them. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's minimizing, marginalizing, and oftentimes vilifying. Yeah. And, and oftentimes that's, that's exactly the order. Okay. And then maybe a final question. Um, what message would you have for people that are victims of abuse? Um, whether maybe it happened to them as a child, maybe they have a child who's been abused or they're an adult yeah. that's been abused. Yeah, that's a, uh, let me, let me narrow my answer. Yeah. Cause that's, that could yeah. involve a lot of things. Fair. Um, I, I encounter a lot of survivors who were abused in a church context and they really, really struggle with church, yeah. with faith, with, with God, with Jesus, um, with the Bible, all that stuff. Yeah. And, and they just, they, they live in shame because they can't open their Bible. They live in shame because they can't walk inside of a church. And, and they beat themselves up. And sometimes other people beat themselves, beat them up about not going to church. And you just need to read your Bible more. And, and I guess my message to yeah. those people are, you know what? God loves you even if you never open the Bible again in your life. If you mm -hmm. never walk inside a church again in your life. If you never sing another hymn in your life. It doesn't, that doesn't matter. God loves you and he cherishes you. And I'm so sorry that there have been those who have professed his name who have betrayed it to wound and hurt you. And so stop, try to stop giving yourself such a hard time. Yeah. And if you're hanging around people who are giving you a hard time, find a new set of friends. Yeah. Because I have, I'm 51 years old and I have seen Jesus in the faces and in the places, in the faces of people and in the places that I would least expect. And it's been the most beautiful Jesus that I've seen in those places and faces. And most of the time, it's not inside my church. Yeah. Um, so I just, I want to give those people hope that, uh, and, and if they struggle with God and Jesus, welcome to the club. Yeah. We'd all, we all do. Some just are freer to talk about it than others. And, and sometimes we can't give answers. Yeah. Sometimes I can't, I cannot tell, I cannot answer a victim when they say, where was this great Jesus you talk about when my dad was sexually abusing me every night? Where was he? And I, I have to look at him and go, I don't know the answer to that, but, yeah. but that makes me really mad that he wasn't there to, he didn't come in and, and stop it. And yeah. so you and I, for this moment, can be mad at Jesus together. And you know what? God can handle it. He can handle it, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. That. Yeah. Well, thanks for joining us um, for a bit. Yeah. yeah it's yeah. been, uh, as, as a pastor, it's always good to hear that um, 
there's just so much work to be done and there's often a lot of it's unspoken work yeah or, or waiting to be spoken work maybe is the better way of saying it yeah and it's uh i don't know it's it's on the one hand it's disheartening but also on the other hand it's encouraging because it's like well if we're called to be the church sometimes that means being really really uncomfortable with doing the right thing yeah but yeah got to do the right thing and fighting yeah. evil is not easy let's no, put it that not. way there's a cost no. It's it's not it's not easy and and you know what ultimately you know if if you can focus on the right things you know focus on the precious souls God has placed before you and and you're doing this unto Jesus not to anybody else um, yeah you will do the right thing but it's it's it can be messy and it can be complicated and so I say keep focused because <laughs> um, we get distracted. And we start worrying about things, and then pretty soon we're not doing what we're what we're <laughs> supposed to be doing. And so I give, oftentimes churches will ask me, "What do we do here? What do we do here?" And I give them a exact that exact very I think simplistic advice: do the right thing. Because the reality is, most people know what that is. Yeah, yeah. They will rationalize away, and and rationalize different answers. But at the end of the day, they know what it is. Just do it. Um, but I'm. I just think pastors should be encouraged to, I'm pretty hard on pastors and churches, but I can also say I've encountered, especially a younger generation of, of pastors uh, who really amaze me. And I, and I hold out a lot of hope for, uh, for the church in the lives of these men and women who have a whole different mindset, it seems, than so many of their, of their elders yeah. when it comes to this issue. And um and that's encouraging. That gives me that gives me some hope that the, the Christian world might look a little bit different 10, 20 years from now than it mm -hmm. does now, because it certainly needs to change. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, thank you. And thank you for being part of that change. Too. Okay, so glad to be here. And thank you for being here. Take care. Take care. Okay.